Uh, I know some of you have been asking about uh, Susan Mulholland. You knew she fell and broke her arm. Uh, that she was here first service. Is she here again? People are looking over there. <laughs> I'm like, who's over there? You know, good people are sitting over there in that section, by the way. Um, but Susan's not. Susan was here first service, and she's doing better. She had surgery this week, and they put it all back together and plates in there. And uh, Will you pray for Susan? Anybody here going to pray for Susan? I mean, she's, uh, you know, dealing with the loss of Gary, and we all sense that. I noticed this morning I came in and to put my books down there, and I said, oh, I can't put them there. That's Gary's spot there. But, uh, you know, God is healing us and helping us with this journey called grief. Some of you know that this past week I was asked by my extended family to go to Canada and lead a, a memorial service for a, a cousin of mine who passed away. Got to see my mom's sisters and all of that and uh, sense God's presence. So thank you for praying for him. Um, we're all going through stuff, aren't we? Anybody really going through stuff? <laughs> More stuff than you really need right now? But uh, God is good all the time, and he will help us. And the Celtic way has helped me in my Christian walk. Probably 15 years ago, I started reading and studying and listening and um, you know, discovering the principles that transfer from the life of Patrick and the early Celtic Christians. Uh, one of the things I love about the tradition of the Celtic way is everyday Christianity. I wash my face today with a handful of the Father and a handful of the Son and a handful of the Holy Spirit. I kindle my fire today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I started to make up my own, you know, like, I open my computer today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anybody need the Holy Spirit to help you on the computer? Right? So you don't go places you shouldn't, and uh, so it cooperates with you and all of that, you know? Uh, the Celtic way. Um, the love for the Trinity. Uh, it seemed like there was something in their culture that opened them up to the understanding of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see it in their art. You see it in their writing. Uh, the appreciation of nature as a revelation of God's nature and character, creation around us. So we have the Celtic cross. Um, the symbol of the former religion, religious practice is the circle. Represents creation, the world. But Patrick superimposed over the circle the cross. And so we have a reminder that Jesus is Lord of all creation. And that creation reveals the character and nature of God. And that beyond the character and nature of God, we see the person of Jesus Christ. And I love that. I love that. So those times, does anybody ever find that being out in a beautiful, natural you know, place can actually inspire your spirit. You can hear from the Lord. The, the Celtic Christians called them thin places, the places where heaven and earth got closer and closer, and it felt like the Spirit of God was there. And it's my prayer that for many of us, this is a thin place, a place where we sense and feel the presence of God. And that raises the issue for me of 
listening for the voice of God, uh, sensing at times the impression of God upon your heart and spirit. I was talking to Linda Panchula, our administrator, the other day, and I said, you know, I've had two or three exceptional experiences in my life of hearing from God. And as a pastor, I learned a long time ago to be careful with that. Because sometimes when you tell those stories, it's like that happens all the time, right? It happens to me. It happens to every great Christian. And if you haven't heard some big revelation from God, you're a second-class Christian. And that's just not the way it is. First of all, I, I don't control what God impresses on my life. I, I try to be open, right, and listen, right? It's not about me. It's all about him. So it's Friday night, and we live in Temperance, Michigan, down just on the suburbs of uh, Toledo, Ohio. And we've just completed the construction of a brand new church building, which is going to be open and dedicated in about two weeks. And um, several times during that lead up, I would go over and walk through the building on a prayer walk, pray for the kids of the apartment or the kitchen or the sanctuary or, you know, just the front door and put my hands on the front door and say, God, may everyone who comes in this door feel your presence. So about 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night, and I said, Nance, I'm going to go over and pray at the church. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I expected her to say, really? (laughs) You know, 10 o'clock Friday night, I mean, you go over, but this isn't the usual time. And she said, great, fine. Wake me up when you get home, you know. So uh, I walk in the front door, and there are glass double doors like we have here, and just the main lobby area was poured stained cement. Um, we had deliberately designed it kind of as a Christian version of Whole Foods. Anybody ever been to Whole Foods? So I had the same color scheme, the same design. I walk in and there, about as far away as the back door is from me, I could see something shining. And I thought, that's odd, what's shiny? And I kept walking and the closer I got, I could see it was moving. And then I realized it was water. And the main water pipe that brought the well inside the building had broken. And I got there just as it was about to run under the doors and into the sanctuary. And the problem with that was that the sanctuary had a four-foot slope down to the front. And if that water had crested that slope, uh, we might have lost the building for months and months and months. But I arrived just in time to run down. I, I was running through the water. I wish I had slow motion video. You know, so I'm running up current down this hallway to where the pipe was. I open the door and go in the room and I know I know nothing about plumbing or, you know, any of that. But I could see where the water was coming. It looked like there was a valve of some kind. I reached down, twisted the valve and the water stopped. And then I called the guy who was in charge of the building program and I said, guess what? And they called A-A-A-A-A-A remedial water service. You know what I mean? The, the people who want to be first in the phone book. And, uh, and uh, those guys came with their truck and they sucked all the water out and they cut out about 18 inches of drywall down those hallways and in our main lobby because they had gotten wet. But it had just been just not enough that we, you know, we didn't lose it all. We were able to patch and repair that and open on time. thank the Lord thank the Lord now that has never happened before or since right 
It didn't need to happen. It needed to happen that time. Now, how do you know when a leading, a sense, you know, we ought to, I ought to teach on Sunday about how a coffee house, cafe setting, reminds me of just kind of chilling, just, just relaxing in the presence of God. And there's a lot of people who follow Christ who don't know how to relax in the presence of God. So I'm working away and I'm feeling like, okay, this is coming together. This is, this is God. There are other times, <laughs> I have other, day, other ideas that don't come together. And, um, you know, it's probably just the bad burrito I ate, you know. Or maybe just some self-indulgent thought something I want. So how do you discern whether it's you or maybe even the enemy trying to get you to do something wrong or whether it's God? I'm glad you asked. In the bulletin, in the program today, there's an outline. I don't have a long time. I'm going to go through it very quickly. But if you would take this, read those scriptures and check these out for yourself, I think you'll find a very powerful spiritual teaching. And the first thing we need to test ideas by is whether they line up with the Bible. Are they biblical? Is this idea consistent with what God has already revealed in the Bible? In Luke 21, it says, heaven and earth will pass away. This is Jesus speaking, but my words will never pass away. This is a, this is a reminder of the consistency of the Bible, that God doesn't change his mind that he has inspired this amazing holy book that speaks to us with authority. Scripture says that it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. I, I love that. Teaching, I can learn new things. Correcting, I can find out if an idea I had is, is not, not right. Tr um, correcting, teaching, training, right? Training. So what, what do I do? Correction, teaching, rebuking. That's the one I meant. Um, you know, sometimes people will say things and you're like, that's just not right. Does anybody know the special day on the calendar that's coming up on April 15th? <laughs> it is the day in which every good Christian pays their taxes, right? Right? <laughs> Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You know, although we may not agree with everything our government does, we are blessed to be protected and provided for and to live in a free country. Can I get an amen? Amen, we are. And so, though I may not like it, I know that, that it is my responsibility as a Christian citizen to obey the laws, to do what's right. So if I get this notion that maybe this year I can hide some of my income or dodge some of my taxes, and I would think, well, maybe God showed me that. Maybe God told me that. How do I know whether that's from God or not? It's not, okay? It's not because it contradicts what God already said. And you can apply that. You know, most of the things that people say, well, I wonder... You know, I wonder if I should sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend and somebody I'm not married to. Well, God's very clear on that subject. You know, sex is not dirty. Sex is holy. 
Sex is a gift. It's to be treasured and used within a marriage between a man and a woman. The Bible's very clear. And though it may not be popular, it, you know, it is true. And so, you know, should I say something I know not to be true? Should I treat someone in a way that I know would hurt, hurt them? Maybe it would be good for me, but not good for them. Maybe my spouse or my kids, I could say or do things that would wound them. I mean, the Bible's, you know, fathers, parents, do not exasperate your children. <laughs> that should be somebody's life verse, okay? Do not exasperate your children. Don't treat them in ways that are going to make them frustrated and angry and resentful. But children, obey your parents, okay? The Bible is so clear on the basics of life. So when you get an impression or an idea, check it with Scripture. Now, in order to do that, you have to know your Bible, have to be somewhat acquainted with it. One of our core values here at Davison Free Methodist, we try consistently to encourage you to have a Bible, to read your Bible, to explore the truth of God's Word. And I just want to remind you again today, the Scripture is a gift to you from God. It is His love letter. You need to read it. You need to know what it says. You need to find your way around it. Okay? So the first test is, is it biblical? The second one is, is it like Jesus? Is it like Jesus? Would Jesus say or do the thing that you're considering? This kind of notion that you have. Maybe it's something at work or something with your family or something for yourself that you want to do. James describes the difference between an evil idea and a godly idea. Just a selfish idea or a Jesus idea. For whenever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all what? Is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. What's next? Gentle at all times and willing to what? To others. It is full of and the fruit of. It shows no and is always. Now there's the test. There's a, there's a list. Four things that are unlike Christ and seven things that are like Christ. Jealousy, selfishness, Disorder, evil, those are not like Jesus. If it's pure, peace-loving, gentle, uh, if it comes from a serving, if it puts others first, if it's merciful, if it's impartial, if it's sincere, then that's a Christ-like idea. Some of you have seen the little chart that's been going around on Facebook that I really like. It's the difference between God's voice and the enemy's voice. God's voice stills you. The enemy rushes you. God reassures you. The enemy frightens you. God leads you. The enemy pushes you. God enlightens you. The enemy confuses you. God forgives you. The enemy condemns you. God calms you. The enemy stresses you. God encourages you. 
The enemy discourages you. God comforts you. The enemy worries you. God convicts you. The enemy condemns you. Is this leading like Christ? Is there something still and reassuring and enlightening and calming and convicting about it? Third thing, does my church family confirm it? Over and over in Scripture, we're taught to seek the wisdom of others, especially other believers, and especially other believers who know us and love us. That should describe our church family. Proverbs 11 says, In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know, uh, we teach around here and we practice the value of close personal friendships in Christ. That's the whole foundation for our small group ministry. The idea is that as you spend time together, and learn scripture together, and get to know one another, four things happen. You know somebody else and they know you. You begin to love somebody else and they love you. You serve alongside someone else and they serve with you and they eventually serve you. And you celebrate the good in the lives of others. And they celebrate the good God does for you. And when that happens, you're united and you're connected. And if I have an idea, you know, maybe I should go on the next mission trip. In fact, I'm going to Haiti in just a couple weeks. Or maybe I should do some start, start another kind of ministry with another group of people or whatever. One of the things I do to test Whether this is really of God, first of all, is it biblical? Secondly, is it like Jesus? And third, does my close core of Christian friends confirm it? Now, it's kind of a dangerous thing. Has anyone ever said, you know, uh, God told me to tell you? Usually, trouble's coming, okay? God told me to tell you, and then they give it to you. Now, Now, that can happen, but here's what I know. We need to be very careful with that and very patient with that. And usually if God is guiding me to tell somebody something that for them, he can also tell them. Did you know that? God can tell them directly. So one of the things I need to do is pray that I won't get ahead of God, that he will say to them. Usually then what happens is when I say, you know, have you thought about this? And the person will say, you know, in fact, I have. And that's a confirmation of something I've been wrestling with. Thank you for saying that because now, you know, we got the horse before the cart, right? We got things in the right order. God is speaking to that person and I'm simply a confirmation to them. So I listen to other people and I'm open to their counsel. And here's what I've said. 36 years as a pastor, I've heard a lot of opinions about my life and ministry. You can only imagine, right? I'm going to straighten you out. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. And my response is, if I really believe you love me and you want the best for me, and your heart is right with God, then I want to hear what you have to say. But oftentimes that's a big if, right? You just got, want to get something off your chest. You just want to push your opinion or whatever. If it's just about you, then that's not, that's not a right motive. So I listen I listen to those that I have developed a relationship with and trust. And so here's the deal on this one. Do you have some of those people in your life? 
I believe that God wants to bless us with more and more of those people if we would reach out and open up. The, the fourth test is, is it God's word for you? Does it fit you, your life? Does it relate specifically to you? Uh, I remember Nancy, my wife, uh, mentioning years ago this particular passage from John 21. You remember after Jesus rose from the grave and he went to talk to Peter, remember? Does anybody remember that or did I just make that up? He went to talk to Peter, right? And he, he tested Peter, right? And he asked him three times, do you, do you, do you? And Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. And, and Jesus restores him because after all, Peter denied him. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask him, do you love me? Three times. Do you think there's something to that? Jesus was helping him to see what he had done wrong, to own it, and to make it right. And so Jesus restores him. And right after that, you got to read that this week. Kathy, that was good advice to read a passage from the New Testament. Read John 21. Write that down. Okay? I think that's a leading from God. <laughs> there's one right there. Read John 21. John 21 closes with Jesus turns to Peter and he says, your hands and feet will be bound and you will be handed over and your life will be taken from you. And Jesus prophesies into Peter's life that he will die a martyr's death. And Peter, being Peter, the big mouth who never had an idea he didn't say out loud, turns to John and says, well, Jesus, what about him? What? You know, Jesus just told Peter about Peter, and Peter says, what about him? And Jesus says, what is that to you? Follow me. Uh, you might want to take that one to the bank, okay? There are so many times when we think that God's will for somebody else is God's will for us, or what God's will for us is God's will for somebody else. What is that to you? You worry about you, right? You listen, you obey. If we all did what we already knew to be right, would we all be a whole lot better off? If we all did what we already know to be right, would we all be a lot better off? That's amen, Pastor Glenn. That's good stuff right there. Don't be worrying about everybody else. Why do we do that? Why do we worry about everybody else? To deflect it? You know, I'm sure. I, how would you like to have been Peter in that moment, right? I mean, he just got a truckload of grief. He just got told how he's going to die. And instead of just accepting that and wrestling with that, he wants to divert it and deflect it. Well, the last one, the fifth one, is uh, do I have God's peace about it? Do I sense or feel the peace of God? I remember that list I just gave a few minutes ago about the the Lord's voice and Satan's voice. One of the key differences in all of those items on that column is that God's voice is gentle and inviting. The enemy's voice is aggressive and pushy. And when we have that sense, that agitated, irritated soul, you know, I need to do this and I need to do it now, and you know, but I, I, I'm just upset about it. I'm just intense about it. I, I just feel pressed about it. That's not God. Um, we studied the scripture just the other day. 
Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you will experience what? You will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The original Greek term for guard your heart is a military term. It means to post a marching soldier around the perimeter. I love that. God will stand guard around your soul and your heart and your spirit, and he will bring peace. So you pray till the peace comes. You wait till the peace comes. Is this biblical? Is this like Jesus? Would my church family confirm this? Do I have friends that agree? Is it suited to who God created me to be? And as I think and pray, does the peace of God guard my heart? I believe there are many of us here today that need to learn and we all can, to test the thoughts and impressions we get and see if they really are from the Lord. And when they are, we follow them with all our heart. Let's pray. Lord, we think about our fellow believers who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago on the other side of the ocean, who had very little background in the things of God. And when they heard about you, they believed. And they wrote songs and they created beautiful artwork and poetry. And they used every moment of every day to learn to love you more and love you back. And I know, Lord, that in those quiet, meditative moments that were part of their tradition, when they went to the thin places and listened, they sensed your leading. And your leading was always biblical. And it was always like Jesus consistent with other believers, suited to them as persons, as individuals, and resulted in peace. So may we learn our version of the Celtic way, one day at a time, as you teach us and lead us. And Lord, if there's anybody here who's not close enough to you to really hear from you. Lord, we know that, that hearing from you and being led by you is a function of being in a right relationship with you. Where we know you and you know us. And that begins with that honest prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me. Every sin I've ever committed, I am so sorry. And I turn from them and I turn to you. 
And I open my heart and my life to you. And God, as we pray those prayers, I know you hear and answer them. I pray that lives will be changed in this moment by your grace. And I pray for all of us who love you and want to follow you, that you will help us to be more open and more obedient than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.